You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. The book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. All right, and pause. So we'll come back to that video uh, occasionally, as time permits, and as themes uh, uh, require. Um, but I'm going to put up the, uh, the final poster uh, that you can actually download for free online, and I would recommend printing it out, putting it on your refrigerator. Uh, if you're a city group leader or if you're in a city group, if your group is going through the book of Genesis along with us, uh, we'll make our way through uh, chapter 11 by Christmas. Um, the, the story of the Bible, 80% of the Bible is a narrative. It's not a fortune cookie. It's not a proposition. They're, they're not spliced scenes from various movies. It is one single story that all points towards Jesus. And, uh, and sometimes in the midst of the, of, the, of the weeds, we miss the forest. We miss the bigger picture. And when we miss the bigger picture, we don't have the historical context to understand. Although the Bible is written for us, it's not originally written to us. It was not written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so there has to be the question before, what is this scripture going to say to me today? It's got to ask the question, what does this scripture originally mean? And that is the exegetical question we need to ask every time we encounter the, the, the Bible. Not that we would conform the Bible to what we want and seek the Bible for a blessing that, by the way, God's already given us. But that we would see the story point towards who Jesus is and recognize the blessing that we already have in him. And so the exercise of reading the Bible is first and foremost, what does the scripture mean? And then the question, what does this mean to me? So this map is going to help us understand Genesis. And uh, I guess by the time that we roll through some of the videos beyond Christmas and into the spring, we'll see the full picture. And you don't need to be able to read any of this. I just want to feature it for you. This is all on BibleProject.com. It's also on our City Lights website. It is also on the Frontline website if you're a Frontline leader here. And you can get access to this. And I highly recommend watching the video several times throughout the year, 
remembering the themes and remembering the majors versus the minors to remind us that the story is one big picture, not just about us, but about God and his redemptive purpose in the world. And so uh, if you can just see the big thing that I want you to take away this morning is that on the on your left, there is, uh, there is the, the territory that we'll look at before uh, December, before Christmas, and it is all about God and his world. And uh, the four themes, the, the meta-narratives of Scripture and the four themes that we'll look at throughout the next year in Genesis are the gospel themes. Uh, first creation, uh, which is Genesis 1 and 2, then the fall, which is Genesis 3, and then really the you know, aftermath uh, in every other chapter of the Bible, uh, as well as, you know... Um, Genesis itself through chapter 50. Third, uh, some people would say rescue or salvation. But not only that, four, that God has come not just to save people up out of this world to go on to another world. Know that he would come to bring his kingdom here and dwell within his people so richly that his kingdom would uh, reign to make all things new here in redemptive purposes. And so those themes, again, are creation, fall, uh, redemption, or excuse me, rescue and redemption. And so what you see on the right side of the screen is uh, a lot more territory of Scripture. We'll actually move quicker through that at a quicker pace because um, uh, the themes don't actually, the, the, the emphasis of the themes don't necessarily um, call on a quality of volume of Scriptures. And so sometimes big themes happen in small amount of pages. And then, you know, the same amount of theme can get covered in a large amount of chapters, which is represented in 12 through 50. So we'll be doing that in the spring, which is God's redemptive purpose in history, human history, through Abraham, uh, Jesus, and ultimately his redemptive family here gathered in this place. Um, all right, so this is the reading plan up here if you want to take a snapshot of this. Uh, this will be on the screen in the future, but this is what we've got up until Christmas. If you want to follow along with us in your personal reading plan, I would highly recommend to get the Read Scripture app, which has all the little videos and the themes that are right there for you at your disposal. And you slow down the reading plan because it's set automatically to read through the whole book of the Bible, if that's what you're interested in, 365 days. Uh, but if you're just working for Genesis, you only have to read like, what, you know, a chapter a day or so, and you can make it. And so uh, that's, that's our, our summary. I'm going to dive right in for the sake of time and just begin in the text this morning. I have... Um, just some highlights as we read through the first, whatever, 28 verses of Genesis chapter 1 uh, of, of what I think that they can say to us. And then I have just one um, kind of point at the end to make and an application. But um, no goofy um, Asian middle school 90s uh, story this morning. I'm sorry for those of you guys who are disappointed. We'll just go right into his word. But verse 1 says this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we have to remember in a Western mindset when we read the Scriptures that um, the Scriptures in general, but particularly in Genesis 1 through 11 and especially in 1, the Scriptures are not um, written uh, first and foremost as a history book, although that sometimes it does have very accurate history, or as a science book or a physics book, uh, physics book, um, it, it, is, it is primarily, although it has those themes in it because that's what life is about, primarily Genesis, and especially Genesis 1, is not written in the language of science, it's written in the language of worship. And so, so our, our, our job in this reading is not to try and understand, did God make humans in seven days, or did the flood encapsulate the whole world, or where were these random people that were alive, strangely, uh, after um, Cain and Abel, you know, or outside the garden, and so forth, uh, we're supposed to ask, who is God? 
In other words, um, we're, we're, not, we're not meant to look at the Bible, or especially Genesis 1, and ask, how did the world get created? No, we're supposed to ask, who is this one that made the world? Elohim, as the Hebrew language would say in the beginning. And what is he doing in the world? What is he about? That's the question that we need to ask, and we will mistreat the, the Bible and frustrate ourselves if we look at it in any other way than the lens of worship. Who is God and what is he doing? And so the, the Hebrew word is really fun. Let's just say it together. Say tohu vavahu. Tohu vavahu uh, is a Hebrew word um, that uh, the, Hebrew, the, the Jews would uh, associate with the desert. Uh, it was uninhabitable. Uh, in, in, the, in our reading in the ESV, which we'll be doing you know, for the rest of the year, uh, is, is this, this uh, formless and void. Uh, it is... Um, it is it, it, one of the uh, theologians, the great commentaries of this book, said that, 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 that it means wild and waste, without form. And uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, the earth that was void and formless was evil, uh, per se, as a lot of the kind of other myths of, uh, of, of history, um, religious interpretation of the Babylonians and the Assyrians, etc., but rather that it was just without form, without function. And it says... Um, the next word that we'll, we'll, we'll say is that the Spirit of God, everybody say Ruah, the Spirit of God, take your hand just like this and say Ruah, Ruah, you feel that on your, on your hand there, Ruah, that, uh, that word actually means wind, it means, uh, it means some sort of power or force, and it also means breath, and so um, we have to realize that probably if Moses wrote the book that um, this is not... He doesn't know who the Holy Spirit is, and although it does reference back to the idea of the Trinity, all that Moses knows is the breath of God, and that God is speaking, and when he speaks, things happen. The Babylonian parallel to this, or the uh, other creation myths that existed around the day, almost all of them revolved around polytheism, multiple gods, and they didn't revolve around peace where order was just spoken into nothingness or uh, wasteland or or, um, formless and void but actually that the world was created around conflict. So, for example, there was this uh, god that was named uh, Tiamatus, who was uh, a Babylonian god, and their idea of the way that the world was created was not in seven days. It was that this one god named Tiamatus uh, kind of blew this arrow into the throat of this other god, which is pretty crazy, and then uh, tore the body in half and threw the top half of the body upwards and made the sky, and then uh, threw the bottom half of the body downwards and made the earth. I choose uh, Genesis 1, but to each his own. And, so, uh, and then, uh, as time goes on, most of the gods created people, not just for glory and good, but to serve them. And so, for example, in, in the case of this Babylonian god, there was another god that he got into a fight with. And uh, I won't even go into gruesome detail exactly how this killing took place, but it was pretty brutal, and took the blood out of the body of this other god, dumped it on the ground, mushed it around, and made people out of it. So that's how people were created. I, again, choose Genesis 1. Up to you. And so, uh, and, and so then those, those people were made to, to serve him. And so what we, what we see is a god, really, unlike any other god, this is, this is why, why, why God continually would tell the Israelites in the desert, like, um, the Lord your God is one. He is singular, and when he speaks, things happen. When his ruah comes out of his mouth, barah, creation happens. Uh, a king is known for his authority based on if he says it, how long does it take to get it done? And, uh, and God is above every other king because when he speaks, it happens. There is no conflict. There is no competition. There is no parallel to him. He speaks and it happens. So this is the kind of thing that God 
is doing. The Jews would call he was speaking, um, he was speaking form. He was speaking a peace and shalom into the chaos. And so up on the screen, you'll see the seven days of creation. And we're actually going to read through them for our time together in the scriptures today. But um, I want you to notice uh, that, that creation um, is not just a list of facts, uh, that there's something going on, uh, that there's a story. It's not static. And that creation um, is, is, again, not trying to tell a science story, but to tell a worship story, not how the world was created, but who it was created and who it was created for. So there's all sorts of crazy, beautiful things that happen in this chapter. Um, the chapter is full of meter and rhyme and pace and prose and poetry. This, this chapter is not asking the question, you know, how did plants, you know, come up out of the ground before the sun was created, which is a question that the sun, you know, that scientists would ask. Or, or why in the second account of Genesis and Genesis 2, of creation rather, uh, why is it that, um, that, you know, in the first one, it's like plants are created and then man is created, but in Genesis 2, it says that uh, man was created and then the plants were created because, you know, and we started reading it, we're like, these stupid ancient people, they're just dumb. They forgot what happened on Tuesday and Wednesday. They messed up the creation story. And, and it's like, no, that's just not the point. That's not what, what they're getting at. They're trying to tell a story. And so what you see in the creation story is that we go from simple to con- complex. That's simple. The, the kind of uh, polarizing dark and night is very simple, very profound and deep, but very, very simple. Whereas as you get down to things like seeds and how many muscles are in the eyeball of an iguana and, and, and the brain and how it functions, it gets more and more and more complex. And we see that the things are inter- interconnected and they are generative. Like, like they, they have life and they have seeds and then they just keep going and reproduce and make more seeds uh, and more things. And so, so there's a participation, not just a, just a watching from creation to watch the creator, but actually the creator endows the creation to make more creations to be fruitful and to multiply. And they, they are all interconnected. So, so for example, you would say the first three of the creation story days are creations of, of um, uh, are forming the universe. But the last three, except for day seven, which is rest, are filling that creation. And one, right, is formed to be filled by four. And two is formed to be filled by five. And three is formed to be filled by six and so on. So God is, is, not, is not just listing an exhaustive thing for you to, to scientifically prove something, but to tell a story. Ultimately, God, uh, to put it this way, is not just uh, creating a planet in Genesis 1. He's creating a home. He is, he is telling the story. Notice that the, the plants, we'll read in a second, that, that were created. The one that was mentioned was the tree, and there was a fruit on that tree. Is he headed somewhere with this, the writer? And, and notice that, that the, the, the atmosphere was created not just to have time and dimension, but to be able to measure time and dimension and to be in pace with God and in rhythm with God. And so God is not just creating matter, but he's creating like meaning in the matter. He's not just creating substance. He's creating a story. He's creating something that's trying to reveal a character, a person, a, a story. Uh, and so there is not just matter that's floating around, but he is ordering that matter with form and function. We'll see how many days we get by, get through in, in the time that we have left. Day three, or day, day one, excuse me. Verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw, uh, saw the light and it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So there's two words that were created here. There was light, which is a thing, a photon, 
And then there was day, right? Which is day is like, what'd you do today? I mean, I wrote an email that only had two typos in it. Well, that's pretty good. I made time, you know? Like, like day is a dimension. Photons are like energy. Like this dude, like God, Elohim, spoke and time happened immediately. And so, so I mean, not to treat us as ignorant here, but like y'all can come back here tomorrow at the same time at Camelot, but we're not going to be here because it's a different time. And God, you have to realize, stepped into creation that was formless and, 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 and void, wild and waste, and he spoke into it chronology. And so he's creating something here. Day two, and God said, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made uh, the expanses and separated the waters um, that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse, uh, it says heavens in the ESV, but really sky is the more um, common use for NIV, etc., that he created the difference between the sky and the sea below. And the word sky or heavens is, is this picture of a storehouse. Some of you guys have seen in Psalms, for example, or in the great Chris Tomlin song, like he, he stores weather in his storehouses, right? So rich people got money in their storehouse, or maybe they have grain, or maybe they have wheat, or whatever it is they have in their storehouses, but God has weather, so kind of better than you, right? And so uh, this was a big deal. I mean, right in the ancient Near East, it's like if everything's based in contingent on agri- agricultural society, like you got to have the weather. And God's like, I've got the weather. There's not a river God. There's not a sun God. There's not a rain God. There's not a storm God or hurricane God. There is one God. And I hold the storehouse of weather, right? What's he, what's he talking about? Like, what, is, what are we feeling when it comes to who we sing to on Sunday morning? The one who holds the weather in his storehouses. This is the one that we worship. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And he's making this, this habitable place. There was formless. There was wild and waste. There was void. And he's creating something. Dry land appears. And God called this land earth. And the waters that were gathered together were seas. And God saw that it was good. And that's, of course, a rhythmic poem. There's like seven times God said created and, and three times that God said this and ten times. I mean, there's these patterns in prose that you see throughout. It's a poem. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding the fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed according to its kind is on earth. And it was so, and the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to uh, its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. So creation, as I mentioned, is participating in, cre- in recreating things. And, and that actually... Throughout the whole uh, 29 verses of Genesis 1 of the creation story, there is no mention of the Hebrew word for complete because although, although the garden was very good, in fact, when he gave it to the humans, which we'll get to in a moment, he tells them, this is the project I've started. You are responsible to complete it. And so what he's done is he's created a world, he's formed a world that he started to fill But instead of putting new things into the garden and the world that he wants to fill with his goodness and glory, he calls on the things he's already created to be fruitful and multiply to continue the project he's begun. So this is the God we we have. We have We don't have another choice. This is who he says that he is. All right, continue on. We'll move to a faster clip here. Verse 14, and God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from the night and let them be signs for the seasons and for the days and years and let there be lights in the expanses of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. 
and the stars. And God set them in the expanses of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the light and the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So there was no, no letter um, missed here. There was, there was no word that's put here in vain. Every piece of the creation story is trying to tell something about God uh, and ultimately his, his creation and, and the people that he creates in his image. And so what we have is the stars and the sun and the moon can help us understand the seasons that God has created to work in harmony and in tandem. And so celebrations and feasts and future uh, ideas that uh, God would have his people do as they are fruitful and multiply could all take place in tandem with what God is doing. And so he doesn't just want to be separate from his creation. No, he wants to be deeply embedded and, as Colossians say, at the center of all creation, holding all things together in his purposes, in one harmony and oneness with him. That is the purpose of time, and that is the purpose of seasons that he's established in this day. Then there's fish and birds, and God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanses of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves. You see, Garden of Eden was just not a flannel graph. Like, it was full of mysterious, crazy, weird, leviathan-type beasts that were in Job. Like, it was incomplete. It was... It was being filled by him, but not completely filled even by the end of the story because he was engaging his creation to participate with him to breathe continual Ruah Shalom into the environment until it was fully complete. And so he created this environment that was way bigger than us to remind us there's way bigger things than who we are as human beings. All right, day six. And God said, let the earth bring forth creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, creeping things. And beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then the first poem within a poem emerges in verse 26. He says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man and female, he created them. Very different, very, very different uh, semantical approach of how he begins to talk, the author begins to talk. There's an emphasis on mankind, man and woman. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Finish the project I've started share in my good and my glory, extend and advance my will and dominion, subdue, form, and give function, you know, create and organize matter, but then also give meaning is maybe a way to say that. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over everything that moves on earth. This was the original intent of humankind. The job description of the image bearer was to continue not just to have relationship with God, but to represent him on the earth, to do what he would do if he were here, or as he's here, maybe you'd say it, to, to start with the trees and the soil and the potatoes or whatever it is that they would have back then. But out of that, advance, multiply, be fruitful, invent things, create, be a creator. Like creation doesn't, if I say I created a painting it really isn't so much about me just making a canvas and a paintbrush. It's, it's organizing things so that they have meaning. 
and that they have um, significance. And so he's saying, make things the way I make things. Make things with me and by me and around me and for me. Make things be like me. That is the greatest. This is not a world that God has created in competition to have people come and make him, you know, serve him and meet his needs. No, this is the God that, that, that has that has, that has bowed down and extended his creation, involved his creation in Genesis 1 and the original intent of the garden to extend his rule and to be part, to participate in the goodness of God in everything that he does. Without the fruit, without the fall, we were supposed to make cars. We were supposed to make computers. We were supposed to write songs and ballets and we were supposed to rap and we were supposed to sing and we were supposed to create all sorts of things. This was because it's part of who we are. It is, part, it, it is, it is in, implicit in us to see the wild and waste and want to give it form and function. To, to worship, not vertically only, but worship horizontally. To, to build gardens and cities and, and, and classrooms and families. We are builders at our core. We are not meant to sit around and see worship as just a, um, an observational thing, but as a participatory thing. Lots of things to take a look at here, but, 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 the, but the item that I really want to sit on t- today as, as we kind of try and close our time and see how we might respond to this this week, other than just go walk on the beach and just be like, holy smokes, you made that. And whatever it is that your heart sees, I, I just invite you to do that. Take a minute to slow down and just think. C.S. Lewis says, either everything's a miracle or nothing is a miracle. And so, so if we are, we are in a place in life where asking for God to do something more, the question is like, are we realizing the crazy, the, what, he, the, what he's already done in and among us, in his, his creation? This is, this is the, the, the language of worship. This is the currency of worship. This is how we see the creator. This is what Romans 1 says is the essence of sin and spiritual blindness is that although we have a creator, we worship created things and by it become dull and blind and can't see the ruah that's right in front of us, the breath of God that we have our life and being in. But this is what I want us to, to understand as we, I want to set us up as we continue to move through this story because although Genesis 1 and 2 are short, they are increasingly significant, super significant as we read the whole entire rest of the Bible. Although they are short, Genesis 1 and 2, we'll spend more time on them and be deliberate in them because if you don't have the beginning of the story, you don't know where the story is headed. And if you don't know the character of the story, you don't know what the plot of the story is. You don't know what the problem is, really. And then, therefore, you don't know what the solution is. Because you don't know where you come from, and you don't know who you are. And so, so might I add, this is, this is my point, is that a, a, a gospel and a theology that begins in Genesis 3 and forgets Genesis 1 and 2 is incredibly dangerous. Take a look at some of these notes on the screen here. As we consider what a theology that's wrapped around Genesis 3 and starts in Genesis 3 um, would do uh, as, as it would go downstream as in a residual effect. Let me, let me shout some of these out so this person running slides know where, where's not where I'm at here. If we live in a story that begins in Genesis 3 and ignores Genesis 1, here's the point. If the story starts in Genesis 3, the story, listen, Bible Belt in the South, becomes about removing sin and forgets about restoring shalom. So when I come up to somebody with the good news and the sentence starts with, you're an abomination, they wonder, 
What's your bad news, right? As a, a, a story, a gospel story that doesn't find its origins in the garden is not the gospel story. So my job as a person that is blessing nations and blessing neighbors is to tell his story well and with consciousness and with connection. And, it needs to, and as I tell my gospel story, I need to remember that although the world has a curse, it is not a curse. And although the world and, and you and me, we have a curse, the purpose of life is not the curse. The purpose of life is the goodness of God. Number two is, if I misinterpret the story and I don't understand that I come from Genesis 1 and 2, not from Genesis 3, then the story implicitly becomes about who I'm not and not who I am. Because I was not, I, you know, like I heard a preacher one time and it broke my heart. He was in front of all these college kids and super reputable person and he would get up there and I heard him say it several times like, you don't just sin, you are sin. No, you're not. No, you were good and God can't create bad things. So you are under a curse, inherently flawed, and dead in spiritual sin, but God can't die for something that is sin. He can die for a person he loves, that John 3.16 says, he loved the world that was under the curse of sin. And so when I remind myself of Genesis 1 and 2, I remind myself that I have sin, and I am under a curse if I am not under Christ, but ultimately, I am not sin. I am made in the image of God, and I still bear the image of God, and everyone I walk by is still in the image of God. And so my message to them is not, hey, I need to convince you you're an abomination. No, I have to convince you before that that you are a created one and God made to rule and reign with him and fill the earth with shalom. That's a much more compelling story than the first. Third, the story becomes about evacuation instead of restoration. There's like one and a half verses in Peter that says the whole thing burns up. But for the most part, Jesus and Revelation and every other book is not about getting down here, up there. It's about getting up there, down here. The restoral of all things, the renewal of all things. That God has come to rule and reign in the new Jerusalem, in the city that was prophesied in Isaiah that Sharon read about this morning. That God is not bringing us up here. I've, it's funny, I heard a preacher say one time, I get worried sometimes we're going to be levitating up there at the end of time. And Jesus is going to come down and be like, where are y'all going? Because the new Jerusalem is here. It started in a garden, and he's not given up on his first promise and practice. He's going to finish it in the city, and there's going to be jobs, and there's going to be work, and there's going to be chaos yet to breathe shalom into. The, the completion, the human project is still continuing, and it started. Listen, now. That's the thing. That's the thing is that Jesus came to bring the new creation now. The, you know, the old has gone, the new has come, and it has begun now. And sometimes I think we're waiting for something else to happen, like God is going to be the one that fills the emptiness and void. But no, the Matthew 28, if you listen to the words, right, they parallel so nicely. He's still telling us to do the same thing, to go, therefore, and multiply disciples, baptizing them in the name of the, Je name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them every... What does that mean? That means the kingdom of God has come not, not to get us out of earth, but to get the garden back into us. And the garden wasn't just who we are; we were. It is who we are in Christ. This is my, this is my sermon in a sentence. As we read Genesis 1, as you read Genesis 1, I want you to not debate it. I want you to meditate on it. I want it to speak to you, and I want you to ponder it, not debate it. Allow it to do a work in you this week. And see if it doesn't do this to you. Genesis reminds us that life has a curse, but it is not 
a curse. Life has a curse, but life is not about the curse. Life is about God. Life is about the restoration of all things. Life is about Genesis 1. That is where we started, and that is where we are headed. And so life is not about the curse. No, Genesis teaches us that life is about the goodness of God and us blessing, being blessed to be a blessing to his world. God is still good. His creation is under a curse, but inherently and fundamentally it is good. And although sometimes, get into this in a moment, there is times, especially in the Old Testament, when, when God would turn his face and, and that, that word, turning his face from the nation of Israel, from the world, causes curse to happen because curse is what happens when the face of God is not on a thing. But ultimately, although there are curses and is a curse on the soil, thistles and thorns, uh, it is not fundamentally what this thing was made for. It was made for glory and good. Look at Psalm 8. This is what David said after the fall. Psalm 8 verse 3 says, When I look in your heavens, lots of Genesis language here, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings? And we emphasize that passage, I will share my glory with, with none other. It says right here in this, in this psalm that, that the angels look at and the heavenly beings look at human beings and they understand better than human beings do of the potential and the glory that they were created for. You see, before there was original sin, there was a thing called original glory. And sometimes when, we, when we're too Genesis, then I don't, don't get me wrong, you can be too Genesis 1-minded. But, but, if, but if the purpose and focus is the curse, we lose sight of our true identity and what our original intent and purpose was. We were made... You were made by God and his glory. You were not made by your circumstance. You were not made ultimately by your parents. You were not made illegitimately. Everyone in here is made by his hand in his image for a very specific purpose. And you were created and designed for blessing, not curses. You were designed for blessing and not curses. Genesis teaches us <clears throat> that life is about goodness of God and the blessing of his world. I'm going to read a couple sneak previews of coming attractions for Genesis and find these themes as they continue. The one we already read, 131, these are hinge points, I believe, in the story, but 131, reminding us, look, 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 the heart of this creation is good. It is a good thing under a bad curse. Have you all ever been to a restaurant before that's amazing, and then uh, you go back there a few weeks later, and it's kind of like, what happened to this place? It's a little slower, and it's like the chicken's a little raw or something weird, and you realize it's the, re the same restaurant, it's the same menu, right, but the management's changed. So the solution isn't like burn down the restaurant. At least that's not God's solution. No, the solution is get new management. The middle management, the human beings, the curse and the chaos within the world has caused a dysfunction of what is ultimately good. Can I tell you a story that shocked me this, this week? So Amazon Prime has taken over the world. There, there's a, probably a day when all we're going to do is wear sweatpants and just sit and click on buttons. Like I, I, I don't know where we're headed. Maybe not good in glory if we keep that up. I don't know what to say about Amazon Prime, but they said that because of the, the, the increase, and think about how much interconnected we all are, the, the increase of use of Amazon Prime and the due dates and the expediency that they want to continue to deliver things on time and on pace has caused like a four-time increase in the number of accidents that happen with Amazon Prime, like shipping containers and trucks. And the front page of the, you know, there's a New York Times article that I saw that came up on my, on my Mac is like, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and what made everybody kind of aware of it last week was that, like, one of these trucks happened to, like, back in to this, 
in this awful tragedy of this car and kill this child that's in this car. And so what do we make of that? Like, what does that mean? It means that the world has curse on it. It means that the world is inevitably flawed. Like, I, I share that story, not for a shock and awe value. I share that story because we need to be very aware without our heads in the sand that this place has a deep, hurting brokenness to it. We can't bury our heads in the sand. But at the same time, we can't, in that, lose sight of the greater call and purpose. Like, God did not make that truck to hit a person or allow it. That, that is not his heart. When it says in the scriptures, like, what kind of a father, you know, if their son asked for a loaf of bread, would give him a stone, how much more does your father in heaven not you give good gifts to his children? Like, that's not the heart of God. God's heart is not to curse. God's heart has always been to bless. And so God's heart for commerce and economy is always good. So what we, did, what we don't have is a bad creation. What we have is a good creation that's reordered wrongly, that has put money above people, that has put you know, success above wholeness, that has put, you know, uh, uh, wealth above peace. We have a world that has been severely mismanaged by people, but that should not change the heart of God. That does not change the heart of God. God heart, God's heart is to bless, and our purpose is to share and to extend his glory in Christ. And so I lost my train of thought there, but verse 12 in, in, in Genesis 12, this is Abraham's story. Here's another verse that needs to sit with us as we make our way through these passages. It says, The Lord says to Abraham, as God begins into the redemption phase, not just to save and, and to rescue, but to redeem, to see all things made new, as Revelation prophesies at the end of the book. Go to your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land, and I will show you, and I will make a great nation of you. I will bless you and make your name great. This is God. This is, this is his people. This is covenant. This is after the garden. This is after the fall. God is about blessing. He is about trying to redeem this broken world. Although the world rebelled against him, it did not change his character. That he was always good and he is always doing good and blessing. That is his heart. His heart is not to curse. His heart is not to condemn. His heart is that no one would perish. His heart is that this world would become redeemed once more under his reign. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there it is. There's, there's curse, right? So what do, you, what do you make of that? Well, curse, actually, if, if you look at it, it's, it's just the opposite of bless. Curse means, the word for curse is er. It's kind of a good word for it, right? Er. It just feels negative, right? Er. Well, curse isn't a thing. Like, you don't add. Curse, actually, in the biblical narrative, is, is the absence of something more than it's adding something. So ultimately, when you think about curse, when you think about, I mean, so many times in the scriptures when Israel would disobey and, and, and when people would wander, or Egypt, for example, when there was a curse, when Pharaoh didn't respond to God and, 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 and didn't allow you know, his people that are called by his name to go out into the desert to worship him, then, then he allowed, God, God allowed for him, and this is what the Old Testament says, he turned his face. It's like, I've turned my face. The holy God cannot be part of unholy practices and there are times and seasons when he allows people to walk away from him. And ultimately, without Christ, we are under a curse. We'll read about that. We'll look at that straight in the face, that in Genesis 3, we are under a curse. The soil is cursed. You and I, without Christ, are cursed. But if you are in Christ today, I want to say this to you. If you are in Christ, there is no curse in Christ. Your day is for blessing, and your day is to bless others. So the message as I close today to those in the room that are not in Christ his heart to you is good. 
When he speaks to you, it's only for good. When he gives 10 commandments, it's only for good. When he rebukes you, it's because he wants your good and welfare. When he calls you, he wants it for your good. When he calls you away out of community, out of change, and into something new, he's doing it for good. Like his heart is to bless you. He is not a greedy God. He is a generous God. He is a giver. And from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation, his heart is to bless. Amen? Some intentional questions for us to consider. I want to invite the band to come up. And then I want to just, uh, I'll pray for us. I'll just put these three questions and I want you to think about them. You were not created for sin. You were created for glory. You were not created for curse. You were created for blessing. In Christ, you are only blessed and alive only to bring blessing to his world. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that if you are in Christ, the message is different. It is. It's different. If you're in Christ, this message is different. You read Genesis 1 different. But if you are in Christ, the clarity is much greater because there's not two different categories of curse and chaos and blessing. There's only one. There's only blessing. This is what Romans 8.28 assures us. High death, angels, and or demons can separate us from what? The goodness and presence of God. There's no err. There's no curse. There's only blessing for the, for, for the one that's in Christ. And we know that the, the curse is canceled. And we know that in all things, everything that is going on in your life today, this morning, you, were, you woke up. He woke you up. You didn't wake yourself up. And the reason he woke you up was to bless you this morning. And that all things, all things are working out for your good. For those who love him who have been called according to his purposes, this day has been called into being because the ruah of God has spoken it into existence, not that you made it, but he made it for you that you would not be cursed but be blessed. And in Christ, that's your mandate. That's your mantle. That's who you are. That's where you belong. So these are the questions I want to consider. If you are not in Christ or you don't know who Jesus is, I invite you to come to him and just ask him to to replace the curse with the cross, with forgiveness. And so the question becomes for you and for the, the Christian in your seat, is the heart of God to curse or bless his world? Is the heart of God to curse or bless his world? Your doxology is, is sharing more about that than your theology. The way that you think and live and breathe when he speaks to you and asks you of something or, or has been, been nudging you or asked you or pointed you towards a hard truth, is he doing that because he wants to harm you or because he wants to build you? Because he wants to help you? Because he wants to bless you? Not is he good if something else happens or if I get something else to happen, but like is he good today? Genesis 1 either has ears that we can listen to or it's falling on deaf ears this morning. We either know he's good or we don't. Genesis, the whole entire book really speaks in Joseph's final words when he says, although there's evil in the land and what you meant towards me towards evil was, you know, was, 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 was happening, God has turned it for good. This is, what we, this is what we believe about the character of God. But two, as it makes our way into our life, I want to ask you this question. Let me ask you this, and, and I want you to be honest with your own heart this morning. Is your life a blessing or a curse to you? Just give you a second on that. When you wake up tomorrow, is the assumption that I've got to close up and put my dukes up because the things that are coming at me and coming after me, they've come to harm me. Like, is that the way that, that, I, that I'm living? Is time. I, I, I just, I know that the next moment that I have is going to be a lot like the last. Is time that's coming at you a blessing or a curse? Is your past, the way you look at your past, 
does it, does it bring a sense of peace or a sense of anxiety when you think about your past? Because if it's in Jesus, your past has become a blessing because it's brought you to here. We were talking about this morning when we were talking about property stuff in the, in, in the, in the, in the family meeting. Like, is Camelot, this place that we're at, this place that we're here right now, every one of us, there is somebody else in this world that would take your greatest problem if they knew that they could have your greatest privilege. Is today a blessing or is blessing somewhere else? Is blessing, like Cain said of, of Abel, is blessing in your brother, is blessing somewhere else because God doesn't bless me and God's not working in my life and God has forgotten promises over me. Is your life, your spouse, a curse or a blessing? I'd want to ask you. Like in your heart, is it a blessing or a curse? Because in Christ, he has come to cancel all curse and bring only blessing. He's only come to bring good. Do you trust that? Do you trust his character? And lastly, when you go to your work tomorrow, is your posture to bless or curse the world around you? How do you measure that? When you speak to your children, are you there to give or are you there to curse? Like when you think about the thoughts in your mind and you think about the words that are coming out of your mouth, there's a time to rebuke, there's a time to test, there's a time to teach, there's a time to instruct, there's a time to lead, but always, always, always in the life of, 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 of the family of God, of Abraham's seed, is to be blessed, to bless the nations. Are you active and alive in blessing the nations? That's what Genesis 1 would ask us this morning. I want to invite you to stand, and we're just going to close in, in a little worship. I really would like to. I know that we're tight on the time. But I want to pray for you. If, if, if you... Um, if you have an easier time by way of personality or just whatever spiritual season that you're in, seeing the curse in the midst of the blessing, if it's easier for you to see the curse but it's hard for you to see the blessing, I want you to operate in faith right now and believe that spiritual obedience isn't just in your mind and your heart but also with your body. I want you to raise your hand and I would just like to just to bless you right now and bless you with what the Father's intent of your life is. Just raise your hand right as where you are. I'm not even looking or it's not about that. Just for you and the Lord, I just want to bless you right now. I bless you right now in Jesus' name to, um, to run and not grow weary according to the promises of God. I bless you right now in Jesus' name that you would uh, begin to hear the truth over your life and that the volume of the Genesis 1 narrative would become louder even now in Jesus' name. I bless you that you are a blessing. You might feel you're a burden and you think that you're annoying, but you're, you know, like God... God is, is using you to bless others in the earth. That's what your purpose is. That's your intent. And you may have forgotten who you are. And that's what we do sometimes. But ultimately, you are not a curse. You are a blessing to be a blessing. And I speak that over you. You are welcome here if you're new, if you've been coming from another place and you can't seem to find a home or find a community, you've been struggling to connect. I just declare that God has a season for you and he's doing something in you that has a specific purpose. And you don't have to look at your surroundings to trust that God's in control. You can look at the scriptures and know that he is control and sovereign of your life. And his purpose for you is good. And so whatever it is, wherever that is, I just bless you to know that God is good. And he has created you to bless you in Christ and in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.